Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share the inspiring story of someone who has faced their share of vulnerability and been able to find success and fulfillment. We hope all our stories will help you find the strength within yourself to live the life you want and find success of your own. Harriet Lerner said, Control is an illusion. A fact you will learn very fast if you become ill or have things fall apart in some other way. When we understand vulnerability and suffering is an essential part of being human, our individual fate can be easier to manage. This is episode 22 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Lila Smith. When she was a kid, she had opinions about everything. She would learn new board games and immediately come up with better rules. By better, she thought more fun. But friends who wanted to play the way they knew how would sometimes get upset. This began a path of her realizing that the way we communicate makes a big difference and that better is only better if it makes everyone feel good. To this day, she's still learning and growing and even considers herself a big kid. Her career in theater has taught her so much about cooperation and letting go of control. Starting her own business a couple of years ago would be one of the scariest moments in her life. Then, shortly after, she'd take another big risk in uprooting her life from New York to Dallas, continuing to push her own limits. Now, she's training to people to say things better, which is the name of her company, helping individuals and companies harness the power of intentional communication. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Lila Smith. Hey, Lila, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. Uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now through LinkedIn, and I'm glad that uh, you've decided to come on and share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, you were one of my earliest connections of a person who I hadn't worked with before. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I think I probably came to you through the LinkedIn local movement, I'm which is when so. a lot of things started to change for a lot of us, right? Yeah. No, I'm going to assume that's probably right, because it's Probably I met a good majority of my, my contacts uh, last year. So uh, I could, I, if we look back far enough, I'm sure we'd find out. Um, yeah. So the first question I like to ask all of my guests is what is your definition of vulnerability? So vulnerability um, and, and my definitions, um, I kind of have my own language that I speak with Say Things Better, a method that I created based on some stuff I learned when I was in theater. And it's five steps. And these steps include the fifth step, which is verb your values. So I like to think about verbs. Um, so because they take words and imply action. And to me, action is the truth, the proof. It's where it's at. <laughs> so definitions of, of, of vulnerability, you know, you could be, you could think about being honest with yourself, being honest with other people, being open about things that otherwise carry shameful emotions. There are a lot of ways to think about it. But when I think about how I would define vulnerability, it's really through action. So what are you sharing with others that requires you to trust them to be a safe space for you? And that verb to me would be to entrust. So if I decide to entrust you, then there's, there's a definition that's implied that trust is required for me to expose something or to rely on you. So it's that, it's that needing of trust, you know, to, to need to trust somebody else, to end trust. And it's also the fastest way to build trust. Hmm. That, that's a, a different one, completely different. I've heard a lot of uh, similar definitions. Nothing's been exactly the same, which is exactly what I'm yeah. hoping for, obviously, because yeah. I want I want to get different definitions. But that one is by far the most different that I've heard so far, but a great way of looking at it without a doubt. Um, so what would you say is your earliest memory of facing some sort of struggle or vulnerability in your life? You know, when I was a kid, I... I needed a lot of attention. I say that like that's over, right? <laughs> I still need a lot of attention. <laughs> but I, um, I had this, this idea uh, in my head that the world revolved around me and I created the rules, which I you know, still feel that I can create rules <laughs> of my own. But as a little kid, I remember that I used to make up my own rules to Candyland. And I decided I would be Queen Frostine, which wasn't a thing. That's not how you play the game. There's little plastic gingerbread characters and 
you move them around colorful spots and collect things. But I decided I would be Queen Frostine. And anybody else who played with me, they could pick whatever character they wanted. And if they wanted to be Queen Frostine, they could be Queen Frostine too. And I thought this was great because everybody would have an equal opportunity to be whoever they wanted in this imagination world of Candyland. And then I remember that I was playing it with a friend and this was very, I was very young and I can't like, can't believe that I even remember this, but I, I must've been like four or five or something. And I was playing it with a friend and trying to explain the rules and she didn't understand. Like she didn't get that you could be a character. She, you know, she understood the rules as they were written. She understood the rules as she played it at her house and she got very upset very angry that I didn't want to play the game the right way. And, it, and she said that I was cheating. And I was like, this, this is not like, how can you think that I'm cheating? I felt so hurt, you know, that like I made these rules so that there wouldn't be anything to win or lose, that we could just have a good time. And I remember feeling like just very hurt that someone didn't see things my way. <laughs> and that was a very early exposure to, you know, the different ways that we communicate who our communication partners are, the people who are going to get us and the people who aren't. That was, that was pretty early. <laughs> so, and, and I'm assuming this wasn't like the only case of this happening. I'm assuming this is something, cause if you're bringing it up as something that you faced and you even say you still face to this day, I'm assuming this is something that sort of presented itself in other ways as you were growing up. Oh yeah. I mean, and I'm still growing up, you know, and I'm still <laughs> learning that, there are some things that we take for granted because they're natural to us or they're part of our cultural context. And when we come across other people who have a different context, we have to take responsibility for adapting, adjusting, you know, learning and listening to how people are taking what we're communicating. And that, that impact, the result that we want to achieve is important but achieving it in a way that feels good to the other people around us is more important. And so I've learned, you know, even though I feel like I have a great method, I feel like I have a great set of rules for how I live my life, that they're not the only ones. And I have to think about one, like who I want to have really close to me, if that's going to be the case, you know, who, do I, who can I be relaxed around in living by my rules? And two, when I want to communicate with people who are outside of that immediate circle, what can I include? What do I have that will relate to those people so that we can authentically connect? Where, where do we agree? And then find a set of rules that works for us both in that area. Interesting. So, I mean, I think you sort of answered the, the question I was going to ask next, but just to maybe get a, a clear idea. So how would you say that you started to overcome you know, is it through these, the, these things that you've learned, uh, you know, is it through some other program or, I mean, maybe it's through theater, like you spoke earlier, uh, spoke about earlier, like how did you overcome this need to, I guess, basically make all the rules and, and be in charge. <laughs> and like you said, you're still dealing with it now, but I'm assuming you've overcome it somewhat. Otherwise I, I've come a long way for yeah. sure. I can tell you what some of the lessons are that I'm continuing to try to learn you know, just because we learn a lesson doesn't mean that we have like perfected it or internalized <laughs> it and, and made it part of our, our rote life. But theater taught me almost everything about what I need to know. You know, that, that book or whatever it is, um, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. Never heard of it, but <laughs> never heard of it. Well, <laughs> I think it's some good lessons about sharing and stuff like that. But I think everything I need to know, I learned in theater. I learned how to listen and really truly be present. Uh, I learned about the magic of that curiosity in the moment. God, I don't know what's gonna happen next. Even though I know what the lines will be in the script, that stuff doesn't change, but I don't know how the person across from me is going to respond. And so being very, very open to that, there's a you know, Meisner technique, and um, I've learned to use my imagination through the Stella Adler uh, technique, and there are all of these different trainings that I've, that I've had um, within the sphere of what people call method acting, starting from the Stanislavski system of acting, which was a, a method that he gave to, um, from Moscow Art Theater, bringing it to the United States and giving it to actors here so that we would have a method to use in rehearsals so that we could make sure that we're being realistic and connective and 
present and making discoveries that are exciting and serve the story and serve our moment to moment connection. Um, I also learned not to be a diva, you know, nobody likes to work with that person. And no matter how talented you are, if you get the diva reputation, unless you are one of maybe five actresses in the world, you're not going to be getting those stage roles if that's what you're like to work with. People will always choose to work with people who are collaborative over people who are um, kind of overly commanding and demanding. I'm sure you've experienced that, you know, different personality <laughs> types, right? Like people that you know you don't want to work with again, even if they're smart. No, for sure. I mean, I've been in sales for most of my life and I think from doing that, it's allowed me to get a pretty good read on people overall, just because in sales, you sort of have to catch the vibe of the other person as quickly as possible. So you know how to interact with them because you're trying That's to it. sell them something yeah. at the end of the day. So I understand where you're coming from there for sure. And, and That's exactly it. What's interesting to me there is sort of, it sounded to me and, uh, you know, I don't want to overuse the word being the name of my podcast, but it seemed to me that sort of vulnerability helped you overcome that situation of feeling like you always need to be in control. Because from what you yeah. just said there through all those different uh, teachings that you were learning, it sort of made you sort of have to leave control, like lose, not yeah. I want to say lose control, but maybe that's right. Oh yeah, it. absolutely. You, you to have to completely of- give up control to the moment. You can do everything that you can do. You know, you can control how much you prepare. You can control how much research you do. You can control um, whether you have researched a character by looking through all of their lines in the script and seeing what other characters have had to say about that person. And you can do all of the prep work about the dramaturgical uh, world of the play. So what time period it's set in, what was happening at the time, what kind of sociological issues there were. You can come to rehearsal with your lines memorized. All of that is stuff you can control. But once you're in the moment, you have your intentions set, you know what you're going into that scene to do to achieve for that character, their objective. And you you go into a scene knowing that that's what you want to do. And then you have to acknowledge that you are just there representing this one character and there are other characters on stage who are going to be standing in your way, who are written there on purpose to create dramatic conflict, to say, whatever your character's objective is, she can't have it. And you have to give up control. You have to give up control um, while all the while relentlessly pursuing what that character wants. But what it taught me off stage is when we don't have a script and we don't have somebody who's put in our way to be an adversary, that we can help those other people on stage in our own lives too. We can help other people to achieve their objectives. And then we get a partnership rather than an adversary. Hmm. That's interesting how you're able to take things that you learn in sort of your professional life into your personal life. Because I think usually we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to bring stuff from right. our personal life into our professional life. But your sort of is the other way around, which is interesting. Well, it's, it's both. You know, yeah. as an actor, like we have this story to tell. And when we're showing up on stage, what you're seeing is thoughts running through my of my own personal life things that I have experienced, imagining uh, with the person opposite me in the scene, that it's not like, let's say you're the other actor. I'm not seeing Brian Almeida if I'm, you know, putting someone in who has um, sort of a, a paternal conflict role. You know, I would pick maybe an old boss of mine who was very um, confrontational and male, you know, and like had this this energy that made me very uncomfortable. So like that, that would be the person that I would substitute in my head for that character on stage, even if you are playing him. And that's especially Mm. helpful because we love the other actors in the scene. How can we get mad at them if we don't (laughs) transfer that experience to somebody that we can get mad at or that we can feel uncomfortable around? So I'm taking my whole personal history and to me it's present. Even though these other words that a playwright wrote are what I'm speaking, the reality to me is my own personal life story plus imagination. Plus, what if that guy were here right now and the circumstances were something that we had never been through together? So 
I use all of the different methods in order to accomplish that when I'm on stage, which has been a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but you learn. You learn that you are not the only character with an objective in a room. And what it teaches us is that even people that we see as villains, because I've played villains before, and I've played people who um, really are horrible people, and I've played people who have been killed by other people. I used to play, there was a uh, two-year period of time when I had, I kept getting cast as the girl who died <laughs> for various <laughs> reasons, which was just like this running joke. But it was, it was really eye-opening that people that we vilify, people we see as the other, the opposite, the antagonist, all of those people have also come on stage into this scene or what I now call in real life, a communication event. And they are pursuing something that they feel will be positive for them and the impact that they want to make. Nobody sets out to say, I want to hurt that person just so that I can hurt them unless they're some kind of psychopath. Yeah. Most people are saying, if I hurt that person, this positive effect will be achieved. Hmm. Interesting. Definitely uh, never thought of things that way, but, uh, and especially with the world of trolls and everything nowadays, yeah. you tend to look at it, it on the it's opposite. Perfect example. Yeah. So, so think about it. Like, have you had a troll, um, like in the last year that you particularly remember? Me personally? Yes, or but it never... Seen? Yeah, no, me personally, I, I did have one, um, but the interaction was quick and, and over, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, but yeah, no, I can definitely, like, I, I definitely remember it. And I, my initial reaction was not that. My initial reaction was, I want to get back at this person. My initial reaction yeah. was, I have this great online community. If I put this out there, you know, it's going to blow up in this person's face. And then I realized, yeah. <laughs> you know what, then I'm just stooping to their level and it really doesn't make sense. So I sort of just... I ended up putting out a post, but it was just sort of a very generic, like, you know, that one bad apple can spoil the bunch. And, and so that was what it was for me is like, this is one bad apple and a bunch of good ones. So rather than letting him spoil the whole thing, let's just focus on all the good that's out there and forget about that situation. Yeah, it's, it's a nice message yeah. um, to share that kind of positivity. It still gave a lot of attention to what the situation was. Yeah. But it's a very nice message, and I, that makes total sense to me coming from you, that you would want to focus on the positive community building and how many positive, happy, wonderful, supportive people did show up for you the way that you've shown up for all of us. Oh, I've had that before. That. I've had those those trolls on the post. When you think about those people who say negative things or they put you down or they're just there to try to poke holes in something or prove something, what do you think that they get out of that? What's the positive for them? To be honest with you, I I don't know what it would have been in the, for this person because like it was it was it wasn't even through like a post or a comment. It was in the behind the scenes, like in messages, and it was it was just weird because I basically just responded to this person's message saying, basically they asked me to bring um, they asked me to come to their event with one of my colleagues from the company that I had got let go from. And at that point, I had been telling my story on LinkedIn saying, you know, I got to let go from my job and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So to me, it was like this sort of salesy message to somebody. And yet, you know, I had been talking about the fact that I didn't work at that company. And it wasn't even even in my LinkedIn as a resume, if you want to call it, it didn't show that I was currently employed there. So it was really weird to me. So I just sort of responded saying like, hey, like, you know, I, I you know, I don't work there anymore. And, you know, it seems odd to me that you know, if we've been interacting over this past little while that you didn't notice that, you know, my content sort of alludes to that. And then it just came back as like, well, you know, like maybe this is the reason you got fired and blah. It was just really weird. It got really confrontational really quick for no reason. Cause all I was trying to say is, Hey, like, you know, if you're going to reach out and have this kind of message, maybe look into the person's backstory a bit rather than just. Absolutely. You know? Right. Like I'm assuming I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm assuming that person had not seen your content. Maybe, yeah. You know, benefit of the doubt, they're not being yeah. malicious. They're just trying to send one kind of blanket message or go through a list of leads that maybe they had mm -hmm. created or an intern had created for them a year ago when it would have been relevant and they're yeah. just getting around to it. Yeah. So just benefit of the doubt, like yeah. maybe that Hindsight's was- Hindsight's 2020, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we never really know. But if I have the attitude of, let me just assume that people have good intentions, and if that's the case. But 
when I talk about the say things better method of intentional communication, step four is your toolbox. Those are things that you have at your disposal in order to make a connection between you and your communication partner's objective before you ask for anything. So if they're reaching out to you with an ask, then first of all, they should know what makes that a win for you. And how can they know that if they've done no research? And one of the easiest things that you can do on LinkedIn is do some research about what somebody needs in order to feel like they're successful. Look at their activity, mm-hmm. look at their posts, look at the things that they're saying. This is real time communication. It is like a fly on the wall view. It doesn't get better than that. It's laid out there for you. And I'm gonna do a post about this soon about how to sell to me <laughs> because I feel like, I, I mean, I could buy services you know, or products or whatever. and the people who reach out to me, they do that kind of thing so often where they've done no research. And I'm like, why would someone like me, who's all about true connection, I know everything that everybody does who has made sure that I know what it is. Why would I go with some somebody who I have never interacted with before, who's made no effort to get to know me when I've been vulnerable? I've shared stuff about myself and about my business every single day since June 1st, 2017, every day. Like there's no excuse, (laughs) but I mean, those kind of, when you talk about being in the DMs, right? Or direct messages, the reason somebody gets confrontational there is a power struggle. It's an ego thing, you know? So if they feel that they are looking bad or they're losing in in some way, one of the reasons that people lash out is because if they, if they feel they have struck a ceiling and they can't rise any higher in success than where they are right now in this conversation, then the only thing they can do to regain the power is try to push down the other person so that they're below them. Hmm. So whether it's public or private, those are usually people's positive motivations to win or to feel confident. Their objectives might be to be the expert in the room. No, and and speaking of that now, and like looking back at the situation, uh, this person, just in the way they present themselves through their content and stuff. I mean, I don't follow them anymore, obviously, but in yeah. the time that I did, I could see I can see ego there for sure, without oh, for a doubt, because sure. this yeah. person was very like you know loud in their personality online, and so I can definitely see where that might have come into play. And like I said, uh, you know, when I said hindsight there, what I was sort of alluding to is you know after it happened. I was having a conversation with a friend even the next day and and he sort of mentioned a lot of the same things you did. Like maybe it's just an auto message. Maybe it's the person's assistant that's messaging you, not them, you know, all these different things. Yeah. And he's like, you kind of reacted a little bit too quickly, I guess. And, and, and like I said, in hindsight, sure, maybe I did, but it was just very weird how it went from like one thing to the next. And then, like I said, the whole thing just sort of blew up and I was like surprised. But I mean, like yeah. you said, I think that the other thing too, is that in, when it's in those private messages, there's maybe a certain amount of confidence we have compared to outside of that. And there was other times, you know, in, in the time that I've been on LinkedIn where, you know, it wasn't maybe necessarily me, but somebody else um, that, you know, got sort of trolled or whatever you want to call it. And, and, you know, and you just sort of, uh, sometimes we'd, you know, I'd see people interact with it a lot more and then it would just end up where that person would like delete all their comments <laughs> and like yeah. run away and be like, oh no, uh, but other times where it maybe got a little out of hand. So um, yeah, I think trying to find the, like you said, the positive or look at where that person might be coming from would probably be a better way of dealing with it than just sort of getting yourself more involved with it, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of the, or you can get involved in it, but do it intentionally and know why you're doing it. You know, I see when you go on other people's like troll comments and, and come to their defense, it's because you want people to know what you stand for mm-hmm. and you want your friends, your, your close connections to know that you have their back. They're your communication partner. When you say to somebody else, your behavior is not acceptable. It doesn't even matter how they take it. It matters that your friend whose post they commented on knows that you have their back. They're your communication partner. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, the one thing I was sort of curious about is, is so you, you know, you talked about like how you, when you were younger, it was this sort of need for control and then how you overcame that through 
you know, certain acting classes and things that you did and, and certain techniques that you learned, what new strength overall would you say you discovered after going through all that in, in yourself? You mean since then? Well, like, yeah, I guess, I mean, again, not, not maybe at this point in your life, but at that, you know, before you get to where you're at now, like what new strength would you say you presented in yourself? You know, like maybe it was confidence, maybe it was something else. Like as you were going through these, these courses and learning these techniques and things to help you overcome that feeling or that need of control, what new strengths did you discover in yourself from going through that? The ability to make other people feel seen included, um, considered, important. Other people are important to me so much. You can actually see it if you look at my, my Clifton Strengths breakdown. I have a, a full 34. I just posted on Instagram at Lila Lasagna. You can check out. But it's, it shows how the people things, um, whether I'm influencing others to be the, the best, most impactful versions of themselves, or showing them what things about them are so special that they can actually make money from them if they talk about them, included in their messaging, um, and create products around it. Or if it's just that I have these relating themed strengths where I can listen to somebody and connect. That, that ability to connect, I think above all really defines me. I can walk into a room and it'll be full of strangers for about one second and then I know everybody and I know what they do and I know how I can help them and I know what's special about them and I celebrate. I celebrate every person that I find something into love. I think that's probably my favorite thing about myself is recognizing and celebrating other people's specialness. Huh. Well, that's a powerful strength there. I mean, uh, I, I would like to think that I'm trying to do the same, <laughs> but I don't think I'm at the same level. You know, I, I definitely discovered a couple of years ago, um, literally probably maybe months before I lost my, my last sales job in, in a conversation that I had with a friend that if I had everything in the world, the money and all that kind of stuff, and everything was just the way that, you know, I was comfortable in every other way. Um, the only thing I'd want to do moving forward is help others because I think that that's where, and I hear it all the time through other podcasts, through whatever, maybe books that I'm reading or other people that I've interviewed is that, you know, when you're in service of others is when you feel the best. And that's what I'm trying to do even with yeah. this podcast is trying to help people learn that, you know, yeah, you can go through struggles, you can go through vulnerable moments in your life, but there is a way out. And each person each that I interview, I'm hoping will show a different technique or a different way or whatever it is, you know, through their story that can somebody else listening can relate with and go, huh, maybe I can do this or maybe I can try that. Yeah. So, so yeah, so th that's definitely a good strength to have 100%. So you, know, you have a really good memory. Um, <laughs> and I think it's, I, especially where people are concerned, people's stories, this post I saw this time, this thing that happened, this thing that those people are good at, um, you remember interactions and how they felt and you also remember details. Do you know that about yourself? Because I've observed this in you. Does that sound like you? So it's really weird that you say that because yesterday yeah. when I was at my, so I have a job outside that, you know, I, I do 40 hours a week. I work at a factory doing manual labor and uh, because the job is very redundant, I tend to get a lot more time to think. Anyways, getting to the point now, <laughs> yesterday, the thought came to my mind that when I'm doing my show notes for each episode, I'm not actually listening to the episode again to do them. I'm actually able to pull from what I remember from that episode yeah. to type out the show notes, which is really weird to me because, uh, you know, I've done, like I, I said to you, I think before we hopped on here, you're like episode 18 or 19. And for me to be able to go back to that single interview and pull enough, you know, quick points, I don't need a lot, but enough to, to write those show notes. I was thinking about that exact same thing last night. Like, what is it about my memory? that allows me to do that. So it's funny that you bring that up. <laughs> I would love to know. I mean, look, it's something that I've observed about you. And, you know, when I think about like our superpowers or the things that are really special about us, and one of mine is connection, but I feel like it, mine is very energetic regarding connection, but yours is mind blowing to me, <laughs> you know, to see what you're able to hold in your head and pull out. You have these references when you comment, like, oh yeah, that reminds me of this thing and tagging in that person. Or I remember that, I think you once said something on one of my posts about something I had posted a year prior. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that thing that you said about um, your uncle's funeral. Or I remember that thing that you said about your first LinkedIn local. I remember that first video that you did with the crumbs on your dress and it was 2.30 in the morning or 
I don't remember what it was, but you pulled it out of nowhere. I was like, unbelievably like stunned. <laughs> and for me, speechless is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> My whole thing is communication and messaging. So if I'm left without words, you have to know, you have this ability to connect by listening and taking in, absorbing things and storing them. And then you can kind of pick them out at times when it helps you to relate. So there are strengths, you know, that, that are natural, like it could be learner, it could be input, it could be communication, it could be relator. I would, I would love to do um, a UMAP for you, your strengths, your values, <laughs> your skills, your personality-driven interests, and just see what makes you up. But I already know from observation <laughs> what I see. I think yeah. you're a superhero. Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, I, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I just thought about it literally last night and, mm -hmm. and it's, it just, I started questioning myself while I was at work. Cause I was just like, I know I've always had a pretty good memory, but it just weird to me what I guess stays and what doesn't. But again, that's another getting neuroscience. And well, like I said, it's just, it's weird to me that I can, you know, sometimes not remember something that I need to do. Uh, you know, whether it's a chore or a task or whatever, but then I can pull back from being, you know, 20 episodes in, I can pull back from episode, I just did the show notes for episode five, uh, Monday night, because the episode was releasing on Tuesday. And episode five happened, I think, the end of September, early October. Um, I'm going to say closer to the end of September. But either way, you know, you're talking almost three, four weeks ago, and again, I've done so many others since then. So it just seems weird. It just seemed weird to me, like what sticks and what doesn't, I guess. Is, is yeah, well, if you're saying that like there's a pattern of these tasks or things you have to do being something that you forget, there, there are executing themed strengths, which for me are my bottom 10 or a lot of um, like thinking and, and um, executing strengths. People who are very high uh, or who have a very high up strength of, um, achiever or of um, responsibility. Like they don't forget to do things that they say they're going to do. But that's one kind of memory. That's where they are naturally strong. You're strong in, I think, thinking through things. I think you have some like intellection and input and learner, possibly like some learning themed strengths and then relating themes. So relating themes, uh, you know, which are what they sound like when I create a connection with a person, much more likely to remember something about that that touched my heart than something that I have to do. And that's just how you're made up. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, this is, I, I feel like we're getting into like neuroscience or something. Here, totally. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to think about. So the next question, I've had a, 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 an interesting time trying to formulate it because for the first bunch of episodes, I just went off with the question. And then I got to this uh, about two, three episodes ago where I asked this question of uh, how many times would you say you faced uh, vulnerability or like how many times have you been in a vulnerable situation, you know, or something of that sort. And the, the one of the past guests said to me, compared to who? And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that just well, sort of, you know, made me rethink about it, right? So the way I'm yeah. trying to form it now is that, you know, I want to sort of put it as, you know, you're, you emotionally, how many times would you say, you know, emotionally you felt vulnerable um, in the sense that like how, like, uh, would you say that there's been a lot of it in your life? Would you say that you've been affected by it? Not so much, you know, like just that sort of idea. And then if there's any other stories that you could share to give us an idea of other times in your life where you felt at that point. Yeah, I can talk about that for sure. Uh, for me, it's daily. I'm a very emotional person. I'm very open but only so much, you know, I only share so much so that I still stay in control. You know, I share enough for people to connect with me. I entrust them with things that other people would consider way far out of their comfort zone. So it is, it is vulnerable anytime I feel the stretch for myself. I think that that's where the line of vulnerability is. You know, I'm very comfortable sharing a lot of stuff that other people might not be comfortable sharing, but that's not vulnerability. You know, everybody has a different ability, you know, a different level of, of what they are and aren't willing to share. What's private to them, what's personal, and what can be public or at least shared with one other person. I think I put myself on purpose 
in situations where I can test that line for myself and push it a little bit, a little bit more. I'm most vulnerable when I'm in love because I have high expectations of the person that I'm with to receive and appreciate me for who I am in all of my, you know, warts and flaws. And I'm also most vulnerable as an entrepreneur because this is my livelihood. This is my way of making money. And it's my legacy now. Like what I'm focused on with Say Things Better is changing the way everybody in the world communicates to a way that's more connective. And that to me is, it's so important that if I fail, I feel like I have nothing. And it's not true. You know, I know that, but the feeling is there. So anytime I try a new workshop out or test something that hasn't been proven yet, I'm putting that reputation on the line. And I feel this this pressure, this anxiety all the time about what if this is the thing that stops me from being able to do this full time? What if I stop being interested in it? What if other people uh, stop believing in me? What if somebody new comes along and has something else that's different that people like more than they like what I have? And so all of that, these are, these are vulnerable things to even talk about because I feel the discomfort, you know, and you're on video with me, so you can see my face, you can see me pulling it out of myself to share with you. And my decision is to entrust, mm-hmm. you know, to entrust you with that, to entrust your listeners and, and viewers with what it's really like for me. I had um, to share a story. I had a client that I did a very big pharmaceutical client and I did a workshop for them as um, a pilot for a program that they want to develop. And I got some feedback from it. And a lot of people were writing and saying how valuable it was to them and people on the follow-up calls saying, here's what I've learned. Here's how I've implemented it. And it felt great. And then they reached out to me to invite me back to, or at least to, you know, put a bid in, um, send a proposal for being at this meeting that they had coming up on October 23rd, which is, um, it was like three weeks or two and a half weeks from the time that I got the call saying, actually, thank you so much for your proposal, but we're going to go with somebody else. We think, you know, the pricing seems really high for this. Um, and also we're going to try out another person's pilot program because this gives us an opportunity to see what will be a better fit for us, which to them probably just was a matter of business and a matter of let's see what else there is. And let's look at our budget and not personal at all, not personal at all. Like after all, they had reached out to me to ask me to submit a proposal. Um, But it felt to me like a total rejection of my fit in their industry. And I thought I made this so big in my head that I felt like I should do completely different programming. Um, What I have no place here. You know, the negative self-talk started and I was so vulnerable, but without a communication partner to work off of, it was just me talking myself down, talking myself down, talking myself down. I was, you know, vulnerable to myself and this negativity, these arrows that I was shooting into my own heart for no reason. I have one friend that I went to about this who had helped me with some previous proposals and who knew the industry really well and who I had talked to about how my program had gone before. And she told me like, you know, kind of calmed me down and talked me off a ledge. She's like, that's okay. You can just get feedback, you know, for next time you could reach out. And I'm like, okay, how, how frequently do I, do I wait? Do I do it now? Do I, do I like, you know, she's like, listen, you don't want to come across as desperate in your communication. You just, you want to have something to say to them, keep it short and simple. And so I felt even sending an email that said, thank you so much. I'd love a debrief session. Best of luck at the meeting. You know, even sending that email, I couldn't trust myself to write the right thing. And I felt so vulnerable hitting send. Is this the right thing? Am I further ruining our relationship? I mean, it was so big in my head. And then the next morning I was like, okay, well, I need to make up for, you know, several thousand dollars worth of work that I was kind of counting on for this month. And I got into strategic action mode. What do I do now? 
What's the next thing? Who do I reach out to first? Who's the easiest, like, yes, I can do a project with you. Here's some money clients that I can reach out to. And I put myself forward into action um, and left it behind me. But that night, it was such a low point on my entrepreneurial roller coaster because I put so much weight onto it. And I know not to do that. You know, I know not to like count my chickens before they hatch or put all my eggs in one basket, but I'm still learning how to be a business person. I know how to do what I do. I know how to help people communicate in a way that gets them results, but to actually run a business, treat myself with some kindness and open up to people who have been there and can help me. That vulnerability is one of the things that keeps me going because without it, without talking to that friend, I just, I probably would have talked myself into quitting or something eventually, or at least quitting that part of the business. That's how emotional and vulnerable I am. That's how tied to my feelings about things I really am. I need those other communication partners around me to say, no, you've got this, get back in there. I really need that. So being vulnerable, it's, it's hard for me um, to, to really open up about things that I would rather control, but it's necessary. It's, it's funny. So like, as you ended that there, it sort of seems like, you know, you're past you, that, that person that needs to be in control and, and everything seems to creep back at these times. But then yeah. because you have the people around you, like you're saying, and I, I know how important it is to have the right people around you. I mean, talk about negative self-talk the reason I disappeared from LinkedIn for pretty much a year was a lot of negative self-talk there was other things going on in my life that I needed to work on um, but there was a lot of negative self-talk even starting this podcast I kept telling myself oh I need to learn the format of a podcast I need to do this I need to do that and it was just like whether it was negative self-talk or talking your way out of it pretty much the same thing I was doing that constantly Um, and then you know it was friends and my wife mainly who basically said to me you know like just do it. Like, just start. Like, who cares? Like, you'll figure it out as you go along. And I was like, yeah, here's the guy who was telling everybody last year, you know, just start whatever it is, just start. And then I couldn't even do it myself. And then I went out, I bought all the equipment and I, you know, reached out to a bunch of people. I got the first person on and I was like, all right, this isn't so bad. And like, and she's right. I learned as I went along, I learned how to use GarageBand. I learned how to create my graphics, whatever it was, I figured it out as I needed to. And even, you know, down to releasing it, I, I put out a post on on all the platforms saying October 1st, releasing the vulnerable podcast. And then I realized that you need to get approved by a lot of the platforms. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and so already I was like, I started to panic and then I put it out and I ended up getting approved a lot quicker than I thought I would. And so I can see exactly because you did that. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, it's, it's but it's funny how like you can you can talk yourself out of these things or you can get into these situations and then it's almost like, I don't know who said it. I'm sure many people have, but we always think of like the worst case scenario, but that's actually not the worst case scenario. (laughs) Right. Something else can go wrong or wronger. Exactly. (laughs) I was just saying that to somebody the other day. I'm like, if you think that's the worst case scenario, think about what the next word, and this is something I heard in a podcast. It was like, think about the next worst case scenario. And then after you've come up with that one, think about the next one. And eventually you'll get something so ridiculous that you realize the first one didn't even matter anymore and you're sort of over it. So it's just really helpful. I'm going to try that. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I imagine like, what if I didn't get this contract and I had Ebola or something? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean, right? And as you keep going down the list, you realize. And my again, whole family died. Yeah, right? you realize your brain can take you into like some, some crazy places. And I mean, yeah. for me, at least, yeah. uh, you know, in the for last sure. while, meditation has helped huge. Um, I've been doing that daily pretty much for 10 minutes a day. And it's helped me control a lot of my thoughts and a lot of my emotions over the last little while. So, but that's uh, another, another topic for another podcast for, for another. Yeah. Day. Well, I want to listen to that one too. <laughs> I use, um, I mean, I, I make sure that I have the people around me. I, I think being vulnerable also provides accountability. Mm-hmm. So like, look, when you said this is happening October 1st, then you had sort of a responsibility <laughs> to make sure that happened. Yeah. When you schedule your first podcast guests, even if they're a month out, you know, you have to have what you need by then. Yeah. So it kind of pushes you into the taking action when you have other people involved to be accountable to. That's where entrepreneurial life is hard because 
you're often in it for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. or if it's, you know, leading a podcast, like that to me is entrepreneurial because it is an enterprise, you know, it is something that you undertake that's you, it's, it has an objective, you have production, you have needs, you have overhead, you have cost, yeah. you have demand, you know, it's everything, it's the same. And when you think about why you're able to get it done, that accountability is huge. Getting the right people on with you too, who look, if the sound goes out for the whole recording (laughs) are not going to be that jerk who makes you feel bad about it. They'll just say, okay, let's reschedule. I'd love to talk to you again. And that's, that's part of it for, for me too, making sure I have those people around me. Um, I take CBD oil from holistic hemp company. Also that helps with anxiety. Um, And that's the other thing is that that control, that need to control something to the detail it produces anxiety around things that don't make sense to have anxiety about, but that's why it's anxiety, right? It's not like (laughs) anybody else cares about this stuff, but if you have attached so much to the control of it, like I do with lighting or like, for example, right now, look, I don't even know if you're using this video or certainly the whole thing, but you may. And I have this light that's creating this shadow behind my head when I move and I'm so conscious of it that I'm like, what can I do to get that shadow to go away? And I guarantee you hadn't noticed it or thought about it until I just mentioned it. But for me, <laughs> it's something that I'm obsessively anxious about. <laughs> no, and I think we all have our things, right? I mean, the thing yeah. for me is that I've led my life up until this point. And obviously, you know, stress is something that we all have and it's going to happen. And I, you know, used to tell everybody I'd never stress, which is absolute crap because we all do. But I've always tried to lead a life of as little stress as possible. So I think that's how I've been able to avoid anxiety for the most part, because I just try and avoid it just because I, you know, from a young age, I don't know how I figured it out, but I realized like all the things that it can lead to in terms of like, you know, just health issues and so on. So I just sort of decided, okay, I'm going to leave this over here. And, you know, again, it comes up, but I I try and control it as much as possible. and, And it helps me at least, but I've been around people who have higher levels of anxiety and it's, I can see how, you know, the smallest little thing. And, and it's also that sort of spiraling thing where, you know, you sort of, you look at this small thing and then it turns into a bigger thing and then it sort of keeps rolling and yeah. it's a snowball of anxiety because you're, and then what I'll try and do if I can help that person is say, okay, let's go back to the, the original point and let's think about how realistic that is. Or, or do you have enough information to really come to that conclusion or whatever the case might be? But yeah, so, but but it's, uh, I think, something that a lot of us struggle with. Anxiety is something that I constantly hear um, people talking about, which is good, too, because I think the more that we talk about it, the more we can come to solutions for it rather than just living in it ourselves. So, yeah. so everything that you've been through um, and, you know, what you're talking about now, even, uh, you know, you mentioned it or you maybe you didn't mention it on the interview, but before, it, you know, you sort of uprooted your life to a different part of the States last year. All these different things that you've done how would you say it's helped you get to where you're at right now in your life? Like whether it's this course is the move, whatever it is, how would you say all of it's helped you get to where you are? I needed the people. I needed the people around me, whether that was my decision to go onto LinkedIn and engage in it as a community. Um, my, my decision was, it came from a feeling of not having that anymore. You know, having left the acting community for the most part, I missed having people around me to cheer me on and to see things in me and appreciate things about me. And I was at a time in my life when I wasn't feeling appreciated at work, at home, you know, and I wasn't feeling like I was being utilized. Like there was so much good stuff about me that was going to waste. And going on LinkedIn, I got so much validation from other people who noticed things about me, like like I communicate well, or I'm able to say things in a way that is simple and compelling and help them to articulate their ideas. And people kept asking me for help and I kept giving it to them while I had this full-time job. I didn't need anything from anybody. I wasn't like trying to build a business. It was just, oh, here's something I can help with, absolutely. And I didn't see it as providing value that anyone would pay for until people kept trying to offer to pay me for it. (laughs) So that feedback was really eye-opening to me. And I was like, well, what else can I notice about these people and about myself with them? I noticed that a lot of the people that I was clicking with happened to be part of this entrepreneurial community who were in Dallas or Dallas-Fort Worth area on the LinkedIn 
profiles that I was seeing. If I would click with someone, I mean, there was a, a good contingency like yourself up in Toronto, you know, or in that area um, or somewhere in Canada. Um, there were people in Australia I was really connecting with, <laughs> people in the UK. But within the United States, there were so many people that were part of this Dallas contingency <laughs> and LinkedIn local, which were these events that people were hosting or continue to all over to try and take that connection from online offline and get face to face with the people that we know only through profiles and interactions and meet them like this, where you can have real conversations that connect. And I started traveling around to LinkedIn locals all over the place. And I was asked to speak at some that were here in Dallas, where I am right now. And when I came here to the city and I met these people in person, I felt like they might be right, that I was unstoppable. But I needed a whole group of people to think that and to say that to me, for me to even think, oh, is this a thing? Am I potentially unstoppable? Could I be a person who changes the world and how do I want to do that? And when I when I was getting this, this feedback from people and I needed what they had to offer and I was so excited about what they brought to the world, I, I felt way more at home than I had been feeling in New York City where I was born and raised, hmm. where the theater community is everywhere or where I looked around and saw memories everywhere of past relationships, you know, or things that had fallen apart. And I felt like it was a fresh start with people I believed in who believed in me too. Without that, I don't think it would have been possible for me to even take the first step, let alone launch like a rocket, you know, what's <laughs> happened since. Um, it's, all, it's all been very successful very quickly, but without hearing other people build this, this room around me where I was safe to explore shatter walls, go high up into the sky and come back down into a soft place. I don't think I would have even taken that first step. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned this, I think it was, and I, I, the reason it's probably coming to mind is because I think it was on the episode that I released uh, yesterday is about finding your tribe. Because uh, yeah. the gentleman that I was speaking to on that episode, I said to him, it sounds like he found his tribe once he got to a certain point in his life and, and he realized what he needed. He found those people that could, could basically help him get to the next step. And, and it sounds to me like that's sort of what you found as well. Yeah, um, it's everything. So would you say at this point in your, in your life career overall, would you say that you found success and fulfillment or would you say that you're still on your journey towards it? Oh, I found it. I mean, I found it. I know what it feels like. Um, when I feel that I'm winning, um, I feel like I'm in alignment, my strengths, my values, the things that I like doing that I'm good at, um, just what I'm naturally interested in, um, what I'm curious about and how I feel most alive. I know what that feels like now. And so I don't think that like full success is that I always feel like that every moment of every day. But just having the awareness, at least, is a success in and of itself. I know it feels like home to me. I know it feels like magic to me. And I know what I feel capable of achieving. And even knowing what that feels like, I understand that success is going to be that plus one, plus one, plus one, <laughs> until I get these new definitions of what that feels like. But I, I know the joy. I know the fulfillment now. Interesting. That's a, a that's one of the most uh, interesting ways I've I've heard it so far. Because most people just say I'm still on my journey towards it, or that they don't have a definition for success. But I like how you put it, where like you know what it feels like, you know sort of what success is to you, which is important mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us, unfortunately, we look at success compared to other people. You know, like right. I don't have the bigger house or the nicer car or the this mm -hmm. or the that. But for you. You, you figured out what success meant to you. You felt it. So you know exactly what it feels like and when it feels that way. And then fulfillment, I mean, that's another thing altogether. But I, I, I couldn't agree more that that feeling of joy is probably the best way to sort of uh, feel or know that you're fulfilled is just to feel joy as much as possible. And I've found that in my own life as well. So I can I can relate with you there. So down to the last couple of questions. Well, one's a question, one's not so much a question. But so this last question 
is for people to sort of get something out of the episode at the end. Um, you know, obviously if they went back and they listened through the whole thing, there's a lot of takeaways that they can use for their own life, things that they can maybe techniques that they can try. But at the, but what I would like from you now is if you can give three key takeaways from your journey, from your experience that people could implement into their life right after they finish listening to this episode, the next day, whenever it might be. So what would you say your three key takeaways are? You have to know yourself. You have to know who's speaking when you talk, what's important to you, and what you want to do to other people when you communicate with them. So knowing yourself is number one. Trusting other people is number two, to entrust. Make that decision to be vulnerable, to be open to the people who can help you when you don't feel you are able to be helped. When you can't see the possibility you have to trust other people that maybe they will. And finally, just communicating with intention, deciding, you know, I decide I want to affirm, to connect and to empower the people that I talk to, the people I communicate with, even if it's over text. Um, decide what you want to do to other people. Choose some verbs that describe that, that kinetic action that communication will take from you to them. That last one for me, I think stands out the most because I've had to, to realize that a lot recently working in a different industry than I've ever worked in. I mean, sales is communication like one-on-one because you have to communicate to sell, but in this other industry and, and working in a factory, manual labor, it's all guys pretty much. It's been a completely different learning experience for me and communication has been one of the biggest lessons for me, even in my marriage, uh, you know, communication has really come into play and realizing the importance of it because in the past it was mostly through text and email and stuff. And now I've realized how much, how important it is to communicate like in person, face to face and do it well. So, uh, so definitely, uh, definitely um, under that last one, like I said, is uh, very apparent to me right now in my life. So the last thing, like I said, not so much of a question, but what I want to do is give everybody who comes on an opportunity to sort of promote themselves, um, talk about anything they've got going on, programs, classes, whatever it might be, and then as well, sort of where people can find them uh, through social or however they want to communicate with people. So uh, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Okay. Well, come and find me on LinkedIn. It's Lila Smith, L-I-L-A. You can also look up Say Things Better, which is the name of my company and the name of my method of intentional communication. You can also find me on LinkedIn, um, my company page, Say Things Better. And you can find me on Instagram at Say Things Better and at Lila Lasagna, L-I-L-A-L-A-S-A-T-N-A. And if I'm promoting something, um, you know, I have a mastermind that's coming up in November. It's a smaller one than I usually do um, just because of bandwidth and because I want to try something out um, myself and see what it's like if I cap it at 15 instead of at 25. And these groups always sell out, you know, um, you know, Anna McAfee, she's been in mm -hmm. one of my groups before and has watched my videos and engaged with people in the group. Uh, so, you know, it's not really an open invitation to everybody. Although if something that I've said has resonated with you, write and tell me why, you know, tell me what it was that really struck a nerve with you and where you feel you need to grow. And I'll see if I have something for you. But I do want to issue a personal invitation to you to apply, Brian. You know, <laughs> if you feel like having a, a one-month course on intentional communication would benefit you or help you to get clear in your messaging or whatever you need a yes on in your life or how to show up more intentionally in your communication in your marriage or on your podcast or anything like that, then I think it would be a good fit for you. Um, huh. So, you know, <laughs> since we're well, on the phone hey, and we're talking, yeah. like... Um, I'm in the position where I get to invite people personally who I want to work with. So yes, it's open for people to reach out. If you look up hashtag say things better mastermind on LinkedIn, you'll get some more information. Um, you can also look up hashtag say things better alumni and see some of the people who've come through the program, but it's a, uh, it's a four week course and it's something that I run for people who feel that they have something that they want to say, uh, a position that they take, and they want to make sure that other people recognize them for that and that they're able to scale out those efforts to have an impact. So I help people with their communication around that using my Say Things Better Mastermind. Um, so that be uh, a, a different kind of group in January, but this is the one that I think you should do. And if anybody is at a company who's listening, 
then know that I do communication mapping workshops, verb your values workshops, and say things better workshops to help the people in your company connect and connect your message out to your audience. That's really it. Awesome. Well, I, I hope that somebody listening will definitely reach out. I mean, I will definitely have a conversation with you after this because there is a, I am at a point right now where I've got, I think, my story where I want to go with things, but I haven't definitely figured out the right way to do it yet. Um, just sort yeah. of been putting feelers out there, but I'll definitely, we'll definitely discuss that outside of here. But yeah, again, if anybody is listening that feels like Lila can help them, definitely reach out to her. I mean, I've, had a great time getting to know her today on this episode and over the last couple of years. And uh, I, I, she's good people. I can definitely say that much. <laughs> and she knows Thanks. what she's doing. So sorry. So again, uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for sharing so openly. Uh, you know, I can definitely see, like you said, obviously not everybody can see us because they're not everybody's going to see the video, but I could definitely see the emotion that you were, you know, sort of pulling out and also holding back a bit, I feel. So I can definitely see that this wasn't, uh, you know, you just making up a story. This was you being open and honest. And I appreciate that a lot. So thank you again for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the vulnerable podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps get the word out and means more than you know. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching Vulnerable Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at the B-E-L-M-E-D-A, that's the B-E-A-L-M-E-I-D-A, or by searching my name on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, please let me know as I would love to interview them for the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and see you next week.